So, the call of Abraham, or of Abram, whose name God changes to Abram later. Um, so the context of, um, of the Bible, um, the, excuse me, the contour of the Bible, if you can imagine like an hourglass, um, it's wide on, on the top and, and wide on the bottom, and in the middle it's got a narrow waist on its side. I've, I've shared this before, but the Bible is a lot like that hourglass, in that it starts with creation, starts with God, just assumes that God is, and then he speaks and makes all things. It's about as big as you can get. And then you have the primeval history, the first 11 chapters, and then very quickly, with a surprising speed, it narrows to this one man, Abram. And on him, the hope of the world rests. The world is in ruins. God has destroyed it through flood. And then you get to Noah, and then you have the Tower of Babel. And then from the Tower of Babel, Man is trying to get to God in his own strength, and God goes, this, I know how this is going to go, not well. So he scatters man over the face of the earth, and then you zoom in in chapters 11 and 12 on this one man that God calls Abraham. And he says, through you I'm going to bless the world. And pretty much through Abraham comes Israel, God's people, and they are the ones who will bless the world. God's going to bless the rest of creation and renew creation through this man. And so pretty quickly, by the 12th chapter in the Bible, we go from creation, this wide all the way we narrow down to this waste of this one man and this one people. And for the rest of the Old Testament, you have this focus. All world history is going on, but it's pretty much this focus on Israel. This very disobedient nation, but a, a people that God loves that he's called. And then you get down to this one Messiah, this one man who is born, who's God's own son, who comes from Abraham. And the, the na- most narrow point in the Bible is he's hanging on a cross. The hope of the world, one man. And we'll get there. And we'll get there at the end of the sermon, as you know. And from that, out of that, there's this explosion to the nations where the good news of what Jesus done goes out. And the Bible ends just as widely as it began with a new creation. But we, 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 we reach this, this one point in this one man really soon. And on him hopes, uh, on him hangs the hope of the nations. Um, from this one man, as I said, God will make a people for himself. This is the promise. And through this one man will come this one nation that God will bless and restore the world through. Um, so that's the amazing promise that he gives to Abraham in this amazingly seminal passage. Really the, the start of the Bible after the primeval history, the first 11 chapters. Um, I was thinking of some time, as, as you, some of you know, I, we lived in Edinburgh, Scotland for four years. And, and there was this time where my son's sitting here on the front row. He's 13. It's hard to believe that just so short. It's, it feels like just a few years ago we were in Edinburgh. And I remember he was like two, and he had a puffy jacket on because it's always cold in Scotland, even in the summertime. And it, I think it was the summer. Either way, he, was, he had this puffy jacket on. He was just doing what two, three-year-olds do. He was wandering around in the garden where we lived in our flat in Edinburgh. And I was with him. I was behind him, and he was oblivious. He was just running around, you know, walking around through the garden, and I was making sure that, you know, I could keep my eyes on him. And my thought, I had a thought, you know, if I went upstairs, we lived in like a third-floor flat, if I, if I just left him, and went up again, he was oblivious. He was just doing his thing, and I was behind him, keeping my eyes on him as he wandered through the pathways. I thought, you know, if I went upstairs to our flat, he'd never know. He would never know, and he would have no way. If there was no other outside help, he would have no way of finding. He's two or three. He would have no way of ever finding me again. And I was thinking about just if I was up on the third floor looking down at him, the only possible way for him to know me, be connected to me, for, us, for him to find me again would be for me to come down, down to him and grab him. And I just thought about how, how much more is that the case with us and God. We have these pretensions, as in Babel, right before this Babel, they think we can get up to God, we can get up to the heavens, we can do it. And the whole story of the scriptures is that because of the fall, we can't. 
Sin has utterly corrupted us. And God, in the fullness of time, his plan was to come down to us. And that starts, really, it starts in Genesis 1, but Adam and Eve fell and through them the whole human race. But God begins it again through this man. He comes to Abraham, who's utterly lost, and he calls Abraham to himself. And he's the hero of this story. So let's jump in to point one, God's call. If you're taking notes, just write down God's call. It's God who's the hero of this. That's one reason we didn't call this series um, Abraham the father of the faithful. He is, in many senses, but it's not about Abraham ultimately, primarily. It's about, the, it's about God who through, who calls Abraham to himself and calls for a real response, and Abraham does respond. Faithfully, but not always faithfully. And that's an encouragement to us. Okay, we fall, we sin. But God is the one who is faithful, and through him he will restore the entire creation. So God's call God calls, first point under this, God's call, God calls his children to leave the familiar and the secure. God calls his children to leave the familiar and secure. So Ur, just very briefly, Ur was um, on the Euphrates River. It was a city of great prominence at this juncture in history. It was a high point of the city. It's in modern day Iraq, on the Euphrates River, east of Israel, um, around the Fertile Crescent. And... Um, it was on the Euphrates River. It had two harbors. It was on a, in a bend in the river. So it had two harbors on the Euphrates. It was a city of great sophistication. I've read one scholar who said that there were flush toilets in Ur. If you can imagine, it was a very sophisticated urban center in the ancient Near East. And um, in many ways, a great place to be. That was, that was where Abram was born. They worshipped the moon god Nana. There's been major excavations of this city. They worshipped the moon god Nana. And so Abram was a pagan idolater. The world had completely forgotten about God. It had gone completely dark. But God came down. We can't build up to God. He came down and he called this man out of his idolatry to follow, to follow him. Um, so this is a twofold call. First of all, it's, it's really a call to relinquishment. And every time I'm talking about Abram, I want you to understand, and I will explicitly say, this is how some of this applies to us, but apply it to yourself. This is, this is a call to a real man in history, yes, but also through Abram to us. It's a call to relinquishment, to release some very precious things. I mean, leaving Ur was scary because it was leaving, but it was leaving a place of comfort and security and real sophistication, urban sophistication. Um, it was a call to, to abandon what Abram no doubt saw as his security. Get up out of here and leave everything you know, right? We'll get into more of that in a second. But it's also, too, a promise to give Abram things that far outweigh what he will let go of. And that's the way God works. He calls us to leave what we think maybe is our security, but to give us a far greater and lasting security, his very self. And, what, and, and there are two Ps that he promises to Abraham, a people in place. That's a good, way, a good shorthand way of remembering this is what God promised Abraham. He promised to make of him a great people that would actually bless the nation, every family of the earth. And, and to take him to a place that he would give to him. Um, but also, um, it was a call to abandon family and country, as we kind of zoom in on this. Um, it, it was a call to abandon these things, these things that he knew. And that would be akin today to abandoning, abandoning your resume, your educational attainments, your job, your bank account, and your reputation. Um, God basically is saying to Abraham and through Abraham to us, abandon trust in what you see, touch, and hold. All the stuff around Abram and Ur where he'd grown up, where his family was, where his clan was. Put all your stock in my call and promise. The, the call slash command is to leave three things. It, it's a movement from the largest things to the smallest. First of all, he says, leave your land. Secondly, your clan. 
And thirdly, your family or your father's house. So in our day, like we are very transient in this global world that we live in where it's easy to travel and we don't have family ties often as intense, even as in the ancient Near East today in many places, but certainly back then. Um, so it doesn't maybe strike us as forcefully as it, as it sh- should and as it would have stri- struck Abram. But in the ancient Near East, um, this wasn't done. You did not leave your family and your clan and your land. It was like a death sentence. It reminds me of another call given by the same God almost 2,000 years later. Whoever does not hate father or mother, of course, he's speaking hyperbolically, comparatively. He's not saying we should actually hate our mother and father. We should love them. Whoever doesn't hate mother, mother or father or brother or sister or husband or wife uh, and, and follow me is not worthy of me. In other words, God calls us to be, to, for him to be our chief uh, affection and loyalty. And, um, and Jesus also said, of course, pick up your cross and follow me. And he also said, which we'll return to, go to his disciples once he's done the work on the cross and the resurrection. Go and make disciples of all nations. A lot of resonances with, with uh, God's call to Abram here. But we'll, we'll come back to that. Just focusing more on this call, on God's call here um, to, to, leave, to us to leave the familiar and the secure. So it's not a call to a place first when we look at this call to Abram, but to trust him. He, what does he say about the land? He, he, does, he doesn't say go to this place. He says go to a land what? That I will show you, right? That I will show you. In other words, it's a call to stay connected to God and to listen to him and to be in relationship with him. It wasn't um, primarily out of, out of a place, of like Ur in this case, or even to another place, Israel, Canaan, to, but to follow him. And that's, you know, we have some friends here that are, have a call in their lives to go to, to, to the ancient, to the, to, excuse me, to the, to the, to the Middle East. Um, but that's, it's not even primarily a call to do that. It's to listen to God and to obey him and to follow him and to, be, and to come into relationship with him. God called Abram out of his pagan lostness into relationship, saving relationship with him. Um, he didn't come to Abram because Abram was great. He came to Abram in mercy because he is great. He also, he called Abram um, to the life of a sojourner. He had a really rooted life in Ur, but he called him in his old age to, to, to move around in tents, Right? He lived in a tent the rest of his life, and he owned only the land that he buried his wife in. Um, although God gave him great riches, which we'll see as we move through this narrative. Um, he had 318 fighting, men of fighting age born in his own household, which means his, he had a household that was probably two or 3,000 strong. It's like a little town. And he had a ton of livestock, silver and gold. Chapter, that's chapter formerly chapter 14, and then all the livestock and gold we see in chapter 13. So he had great wealth, but it was a life of a sojourner. He called him to a land also that was extremely vulnerable. Um, it was, you know, as I've said before, this land that he takes Abram to is the place where three, it's the only place in the world three continents touch, and it's the crossroads of the world, but it's, it's surrounded by these world empires. And it's extremely vulnerable, which meant God wants his people to trust him and not to build up a bunch of fortification security not that that's bad, but to put, then therefore put our security and trust in that. But he puts us in places where we have to trust him. Verse 6 tells us, you might have missed it, but it tells us that at this time, sort of a glance, but that the Canaanites were in the land because it wants us to know that God is, it wants us to reinforce this point. God is calling his people right to, be, to live right in the midst of their enemies. Um, partly because, to rely on him, but also partly because 
he wants our enemies to see his glory and his beauty, and the light shines brightest in the darkness. So there's a reason that he has called us here to the nations. Um, God loves putting his people in a place where they have to trust him and not themselves or their acquired wealth or anything else that might give them security. Um, so so that's, the, that's the first thing under this point is that God calls his children to lead the familiar and secure, but also God's promise is something that only he can fulfill. Second thing, as we see in God's call here, it's something only he can fulfill. It's God's size. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Abraham can't do that. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, how much bigger can you get than that? You can't. Um, God calls us to things only he can do, so we have to look to his power and character and not to our own. Hey, do I measure up? No, you don't. I don't. Abram didn't. But God can do it. And that's what he's calling Abram, to trust in him. Um, Genesis 11.30, again, we read it, but you may have missed it. I did the first few times I read it. But almost in passing, that verse, Genesis 11.30 mentions, and John Curry pointed this out to me, uh, Sarah's barrenness, Sarai's barrenness. She's called Sarai, and then later Sarah, by God, we'll get there in later sermons. Um, but what is he doing? He's prepping us, he's been mentioning that Sarai's barren, he's prepping us for this great promise to come, and he's creating a tension. The narrator, Moses, the writer, is creating this tension. How is this promise going to be fulfilled if Sarai's barren? How, God, are you going to do it? God can do the impossible. He loves to show his strength when things look completely impossible. Um, He's calling Abram to trust him in the face of insurmountable odds. And we're going to see that as we move through this narrative together. That's what he does with us because he can do it. Um, God's call is great. It's massively costly. But as I said earlier, his promise of blessing is way greater. This is God's way. He calls us to relinquish our lives, to pick up an instrument of death and follow him up the hill to die with him. But on the other side, what? Life unending uh, with him and with one another in a new creation, in a remade creation. So let's dive in to the sevenfold blessing in particular. It is a sevenfold blessing in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's a sevenfold blessing. Um, just a few points on that as we dive, as we drill down into it. First of all, all creational, it's a sevenfold blessing. So seven is the number of completion. It's the divine number. God made everything in seven days, six days, and then he rested on the seventh to complete that. Um, it's a way of saying, I'm going to bless you superlatively and completely in a way that is complete and total. And I'm going to bless the entire world and indeed the entire creation through you, Abram. That is, you can't get bigger than that. All creational blessing will come through you, Abram. The call is to leave home and family and what is known, but look at the promise. You literally can't make, make a bigger promise. I will remake the worlds through you. Secondly, the middle blessing of the seven, so blessing four, there are three on either side of it, it ends verse two, so that you will be a blessing. That's the middle blessing, so that you will be a blessing. And it's not for no reason that that is the middle blessing. Position is important to God. He's a God of precision. And in ancient Near Eastern documents, precision is important. It's not for no reason. It's like the torso. It's like the waist that holds the legs, it connects the legs. Uh, Excuse me. It's like the waist that holds, that connects the torso and the head to the legs. Um, of these blessings that God is going to, he's not, he doesn't want to curse the world. God does not want to curse the world. The world has cursed itself by turning away from him and things have gone dark, but God's desire, his heart is to bless. He's a good father. And this is about blessing. Um, the word bless or blessing is used five times in these three verses. It's a, it's what the Germans call a leading word. Um, 
It's a theme. God wants to bless and save the world, not curse and condemn it. The emphasis on blessing and not curse can even be seen in the contrast between the plural, those who will bless you, I will bless, those, right? And then him who curses you, singular, I will curse. As Calvin said, John Calvin said, judgment is God's alien work. He must do it because he's just, but he doesn't want to. And he came at infinite cost to himself to show us how much, how much he wants to bless us, how committed he is to blessing us. He loves to bless. Thirdly, the three blessings that follow this this middle blessing, blessings five, six, and seven are in verse three, and they are next level blessings. It's like a stair step, like they, they go all the way. So, and what they say is that Abram will be the conduit of blessing, period. You will not receive blessing as a human being, not through Abraham. That is huge. Um, If you bless, if you curse Abraham, God will curse you. If you bless Abraham, God will bless you. It's that simple. So, therefore, for us right now, before we move on, the $64,000 question has to be, what does it mean to bless Abraham? Because I want blessing, I don't want curse. So if if he is the watershed... Okay, this is the all-important question. We're going to come back to this at the end. But the seventh blessing is, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, Just a caveat here, a disclaimer. This doesn't mean that all families without exception will be blessed. This is not universal salvation, because there is curse. There is curse for those who who curse Abram. So it's not all families without exception, but all families without distinction. And can I say, not just Jews. The Jews have come to bless the nations, there would be a, there would be a light to the world. The, the children of Abraham are children who trust in the God of Abraham through the person, look at me, of Jesus Christ. Okay? These, this is the people of Israel, as Paul makes clear in Galatians and in, uh, and in Romans and other places. Abraham is the father. He's to be the father not only of the ethnic Jews, but of, of the faithful who trust him, who trust in God as Abraham did, are counted with the righteousness of God. Right? Biblically, to make it clear, a Jew is one who trusts in God and who has relationship with him through that trust, through God's son, Jesus Christ. We, uh, God's people are people of faith, as Abraham was, in the God of Abraham. Um, so, now all this has been a focus on God, but Abraham is a player. He responds to God in faith, right? And not perfectly, as we'll see in the next point, Abraham's halfway response. It's not perfect faith, and that actually should encourage us because God doesn't say, hey, you have to have perfect faith if you come to me. Abraham's faith wasn't perfect, but God's still blessed. He's blessing all creation through Abraham. Um, he calls Abraham to respond in faith. True faith always leads to action. We see that uh, here. We see it in James. James makes that clear in James 2. Faith moves our feet, to put a sort of a, put a point on it, to make it kind of cute. Faith moves our feet. Um, faith is nowhere mentioned in this passage, if you notice that. Now, he is called the father of faith because he has great faith. And it's mentioned in chapter 15 and other places, plenty. But here in this passage, what do we see Abraham, what do, we see Abraham do in verse 4? The very next thing after God calls him is, so Abram went. So Abram went. It kind of reminds me of the Noah passage in Genesis 6, where God says, hey, build this boat. I'm going to save the world through you. I'm going to get rid of everything on planet Earth, but I'll save you and your family. It's crazy. It, it's crazy. And in the middle of not the water, in the middle of the dry land, Noah spends over a century building a boat. And at the end of Genesis 6, the very last verse, it says, um, Noah's response is breathtaking. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. That's the force of Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went. This is, this is faith. Faith has feet. 
What, friend, has God called you to do? Do it. Do it. Um, the first and continual thing that he's called us to is this. Trust in the way that I have made. Not that you can make through your own goodness, but that I have made for you to have peace with me. Trust in my son, Jesus Christ. Come to him, look to him. So now, point two, Abram's halfway response. Abram's halfway response. Um, Stephen in Acts 6 helps us to understand the fuller picture. The call was uh, to Abraham. Um, not to, you, it's, it's, it's a bit complicated. You kind of have to look at multiple texts. But Stephen in Acts chapter 6 um, helps us to see that God actually, when you read this text that Chase just read, it kind of seems like he called either uh, who, the one that started moving them was Terah, Abram's father, out of her, um, and that the call maybe was to him initially, um, or that um, Abram got the call in Haran halfway. But actually, Stephen makes clear in Acts 6 that Abram got the call back in Ur. And he said, go to a land I will show you, but they stopped in Haran. They stopped in Haran. Now, the dating, I, I'm not going to go into it. There are various theories about, about the dating. But the fact is that Abram... God called Abram to go and not to stop until he showed him the place where he was to stop. But the fact is that they stopped in Haran halfway. Now, Haran was an important crossroads and cultural city in the second millennium BC. This is mentioned as early as the, um, ni- um, the 19th century BC in the Kultepi texts, documents composed by Assyrian traders. So he stops, he goes from Ur, the sophisticated city with flush toilets on, with two harbors on the Euphrates, and he goes to a land that God's going to show him, but then he takes his father and he takes his uh, nephew, Lot, and then he stops in this also important city, halfway. Why? Well, we don't know, but we can guess. Maybe, this is a, this is a conjecture, this, but maybe he said, okay, this is a good enough city, right? We've traveled a long way, Lord. I've, I've gotten up and I've moved. Um, Haran's a nice, we've left home, like you said, Haran's a nice place, but no, okay? God basically says, this is not the place that I have seen for you and that I will show you. Keep moving until I say stop. Now, what got Abraham, and I'm, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here because there, and I, I don't have time to go into, it, it may have been that, um, well, it may have been that Abram, here's the, the two possibilities. It may have been that there were great and godly reasons for Abram to stop for a bit and that he left before his father died. But there's also a possibility based on Stephen's chronology in Acts 6 that they got there and his father died at age 205. And at that point, not while his father was still living, but it took his father's death. Remember, it's leave your father, leave your clan, leave your country to a place I will show you. It took, as he stopped halfway, possibly his father dying. It took some pain to spur Abram on to go, keep moving, keep moving, okay? But in that pain, there's a kindness. There's a kindness wrapped up in that pain. You know, C.S. Lewis says pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He uses it, but he's always kind in the pain that he inflicts, like a surgeon, right? And so even in that, um, it, it makes it easier as his father dies, as possibly happened right there. It makes it easier. There's one less thing to keep Abram there. And so he's able more easily to go, okay, God says, okay, you've, you've obeyed me, but not fully. Keep moving. And it's, it, may, it may take his father uh, passing for him to keep going. Okay? 
So our Abram obeys, but not perfectly. And we see, by the way, in the future narratives, next week and the week after, we're going to look and we're going to see um, other ways in which Abram, he, he isn't fully faithful. Like everybody in the Bible except for Jesus, right? He isn't fully faithful, but he is a man of faith. So I'm not even mentioning, we won't even look at the rest of chapter 12. We're going to go to 13 next week. But in the rest of chapter 12, if you look ahead or if you've read this before, what happens um, is that they go down to Egypt during a time of drought. And that, again, may have been something that was permissible. But also, God didn't say, hey, I'm going to call you to a land. And then when things get bad in that land, you can just move out of it. So during a time of hardship, things get tight. Abram goes down to Egypt at the rest of this chapter 12 here. He takes his wife and he basically, through cowardice, allows her to get taken by Pharaoh without telling Pharaoh she's my wife. And he jeopardizes. What what happens when another man, a powerful man, takes your wife? Your wife is the vehicle through which the world's going to be blessed. He has just gotten a promise from God at the first sign of major pain. He jettisons that plan and jeopardizes it. But God in his grace and his goodness makes Abram even richer and keeps that from happening. So it's just a sign that this really isn't fully. Abraham responds faithfully, but even in our halting steps, God is fully faithful. He, He is going to fulfill this promise to his man, Abram and Sarai. Um, Derek Kidner, maybe my favorite Old Testament commentator, says here at the first touch of hunger, fear and riches, the vision was lost. And the whole enterprise hazarded. It would need plagues to restore Sarah, Sarai to her destiny and deportation, verse 20, to get Abram back to Canaan. All right. Um, what is the le- this lesson for you as a person God has called? Has he called you to something that you started but stopped halfway in? Or have you been unfaithful like Abraham, like Abram? God remains faithful and waits for you to return to him, and he's still there calling you to himself and calling you to what he has called you to. It's a real encouragement, again, that Abram isn't perfect, but he is a man of faith, and he looks to God and his promises, and he trusts in him. But that's encouragement to me as a very imperfect, sinful person, um, that this is the father of faith, and God accomplishes his blessings through this man. Um, As a church, is there a lesson here for us? I think there is. Um, From the start, God has called us to reach this geography. He's called us here very clearly. That includes the nations, but also our neighbors that he's put us each around, whether an apartment complex or a house, wherever we are. He's called us to our neighbors and coworkers. He's called us to the nations, and he's called us to north of Westheimer and south of Westheimer, right? And so he is faithful, and he, we almost dissolved, and then he's been faithful to put us back together and give us another start and then do all these things. It's just amazing. He's dropped this man out of heaven, this new partnership with Neighborhood Impact. Here we are in this new year. He's faithful. And I'm so encouraged, even through this text and through you sitting here, through what he's doing. So I'm very encouraged as a person, as a pastor, and as a family member here. Um, so also just on this point, and then, and then with God's faithfulness, point three, we move. Um, why did Abram bring Lot? I've never, I thought about a lot of this before. I've never thought about this point until this, this week when I was studying this text. Why did Abram bring Lot? Now, his father had died, so maybe he was just being, he was certainly taking care of him. But was this the right thing to do? It's worth asking in this vein of sort of like Abram halfway obeying. Lot's dad had died, right? But we know at least two other things. God said, leave your kindred. Lot is Abram's kindred. Lot, 
Again, Abram also went with his father, but his father passed in Haran. Abram brings Lot. Is that, is that something he should have done or should not have done? I don't know. But oftentimes the Hebrew narrative is ambiguous and there's a fullness of meaning there. It's just a question. Um, God said, leave your kindred. Lot is kindred. Secondly, Lot and his descendants end up causing Abram a whole heap of trouble. Not just Abram, but Israel, who comes from uh, Abram. The descendants of Lot were the um, uh, Moabites and the Amalekites, Right? And they end up causing Israel all sorts of trouble. And I think this may foreshadow uh, Abram later on in the narrative trying to take matters into his own hands and sleeping with um, his Egyptian um, maids. Uh, um, I was going to say concubine, but really it was Sarai's help. It was her helper, her servant. And it was Sarah, Sarai's idea, and we'll get to that text when we get to it. But all sorts, he's trying to you know, do better than God, kind of help God out. And that ends up creating... Uh, from and God blesses that line in his graciousness, but the Arab race comes from um, Hagar and, and Abram. And then, you know, the Arabs and Israelis today, we still see right now all sorts of trouble. Now, again, God is for the nations. God loves all peoples. But Abram trying, it created this enemy of Israel that was a real problem. And so um, now, again, to be clear, God is the God of all nations. He seeks through Abram to bless every family of the earth. He has come for every man, woman, and child, and for all nations. And so all I'm saying is with the Lot thing, it may be more evidence, more fodder that Abram is faithful, but he, he's partway faithful. And that's, hey, it should be an encouragement to us. God's faithful. I falter every day. I sin every day, and I know you do too. So God is faithful. Um, finally, God's faithfulness, point three, after Abraham's halfway faithfulness, God's faithfulness. Um, I was in a study with a friend a few years ago in the gallery in an office building, and I remember he was talking about friendship. And, he, you know, in the days of, I think back then, it was a few years ago, it was like Facebook was bigger, and, but with, whether through Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or TikTok or I can't keep up, you know, uh, X, it's not Twitter anymore, um, YouTube, you have followers, you have friends. We also have not those, but real friendships and stuff, but we have lots of friends. But he said, hey, there's only one person that God calls a friend in the Old Testament. That's astonishing. And that person is Abram. Think about how, as contrasted with all of my friends, friends or real friends, think about how when God says, you're my friend, how he commits himself to that person and how he literally, he kept his promises and he blessed. He is restoring through the seed of Abram, namely Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He is bringing all nations to himself and he is indeed blessing every family of the earth and restoring all of creation, which he will complete when Jesus returns, through this one friend. What a commitment God made to this man. And, when, and what a faithful, how faithful is God to his word? How faithful is God to his word? He's restoring the entire creation through this, this one friendship. That's not to say God didn't have friendship with other people, but he literally explicitly calls one person friend in the Old Testament. That's Abram. Um, now, who did this? God, as, as we've said. Abram responded in faith, though imperfectly. Uh, an old commentator, Gerhard von Rad. How, how, how German is that? Gerhard von Rad. He points out the simple grammatical fact that Yahweh is the subject of the first verb of the first sentence. Genesis 12.1 in this narrative. This covenant-making and covenant-keeping God is thus the subject of the entire, I'm quoting here, 
the entire subsequent sacred history. God is the subject. He is the driver. He will do it. Notice how his call to Abram is littered with first-person singular pronouns. For those of you that aren't brushed up in your grammar, it's okay. I, okay? Um, five of them to be exact. Let me just run through them. Go to the land I will show you. Two, and I will make of you a great nation. By the way, of an old person way past his prime with a, with a barren wife. Thirdly, and I will bless you and make your name great. Fourthly, I will bless those who bless you. And fifthly, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. This blessing and curse language also takes us back to the garden. This blessing and curse language takes us back to the garden. There are tons of garden echoes in this passage. One, there's an echo of the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, right? And to bless and fill the earth. That's basically what he says to Abram. Two, Adam and Eve are expelled what direction out of the Garden of Eden? What, when they sin and break covenant with God and death enters them and through them starts to permeate like ink and water all of creation, what direction do they head out of the Garden? God expels them east. What direction does God call Abram to go? From the east, he calls him, worshiping the moon god Nana, completely in darkness, he calls him to himself, he calls him to go west. He's retreading that pathway to bless the world again through faith. Not through, not through his climbing the ladder to be perfect, but rather through God's faithfulness. God is going to send a son through Abram and he's going to save the world. It's a recreation event. Um, it's a recreation event. Derek Kidner opens his commentary uh, on this section with this insight. It's his first sentence in the commentary proper. He says, the history of redemption, like that of creation, begins with God speaking. This is a recreation event of the first magnitude. God is restoring through faith. Jesus said when he came and he started ministering, he said, Abram saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham, in his own way, looked to the promise and word of God and said, I believe that you will do what you're going to do. And he was in that sense looking ahead to Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's through trusting in him. Now, let me move to this and then close with some application points. Jesus is Thank God, the greater Abraham, the one who comes from the loins of Abraham and the one to whom Abraham looks. He left, like Abram, all that he knew, but in a much more drastic sense, right? He left heaven. He left his father's throne. He left all the privileges of the Godhead while remaining fully God. He left his father's house and he left the heavenly country. He entered like Abraham. He entered enemy territory by coming down to his own creation. Can you imagine looking people in the face that hate you, that you made? That hate you so much that they nail you to a cross. And by the way, we were complicit because he bore our sin on the cross. He enters into total darkness as the light of the world. And this is what God does. He puts himself through his people into dark places that the light of his beauty and glory might shine, that people might come to know him. Um. But on the cross, certainly, he was surrounded to the nth degree, Jesus was, by his enemies. Um, Abram trusted that God would care for him, and God did. Jesus was abandoned by God, his father. As we deserve, he took our place so that we could be brought in to true security, to what we were made for, to uh, the one who made us for himself and who loves us perfectly. Um, And unlike Abraham, Jesus didn't stop halfway. On the cross in John 19.30, we hear him say, it is finished. There's no more work 
for us to do to be brought into complete and soul-satisfying peace and restored relationship with God where we are fully loved sons and daughters. Jesus has done it all. Come to him. Trust in him. Um, Jesus was unfriended to pick up on Facebook language, which may be passe now, but he was unfriended completely so that God could call us friends. And more than that, children of God. Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And finally, um, before just a few applications, um, his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is the start of a new universe. It is the beginning of the consummation of this promise to Abram. Through you, I will bless every family of the earth. Um, his resurrection is the start of a new universe untouched by the power of sin and death. It's like, it's like yeast and bread. It's like ink and water. It's like a mustard plant. It will spread throughout all creation and is even now through us, through every person that comes to know him. Um, joining, enjoying Jesus. What's our mission? Enjoying Jesus and joining him in the restoration of all things. That is what he's about. He cares about it all. He is restoring everything. Um, and restoration only happens through faith in the God of Abraham, right? He's the watershed of blessing. He's the watershed of blessing that takes us to Jesus Christ. Um, this is, so Jesus at the resurrection, it is Genesis 1, 2.0. It is the beginning. The cross killed the old order and, and Jesus, he killed it and he buried it. And his resurrection is the beginning of a new order that will never, that will never stop. Um, so briefly, briefly, just for a couple minutes, lessons as we close down, as we close down and move to communion, lessons. One, back to that $64,000 question that I told you I'd come back to. What does it mean to bless Abraham? It means to trust in the God that Abraham trusted in. I will make you and those who come from you into a great nation and will bless all nations. And Abraham's response, as we've seen, is God, I believe you. How does that translate to us? What is God's promise to us, to his people, to the nations? It is this. I've made a way for you to be restored into right relationship with me. It's not through your efforts or goodness, just like as it wasn't with Abram. It's through my son Jesus that I sent to save you. To bless Abraham is to respond like Abraham to say, God, I believe you. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, is the way to be restored. Not through my own goodness, through my own efforts. It's through your goodness, through your son, through his becoming a curse that you might give me his blessing. Right? So two, um, two, Promise number three of the seven in Genesis 1, 12, 1 through 3 is, I will make your name great. How do we know God kept that promise? He said to Abraham, I will make your name great. This old, worn out dude in Ur who worshiped the moon god Nana. Hey, I'm going to make your name great. I mean, really, God? Like, great? Like, a few people will know about it? Like, people in my tribe? No, no. How do we know that God kept that promise? Because I'm preaching on him right now, right? I mean, he's... We all know he is the father of the three great monotheistic religions of the world. Abram. They all claim him. And rightly so. Abraham, there's hardly anyone greater than Abraham. And Jesus, most importantly, came through Abraham, the savior of the world. God himself. Without Abraham, we wouldn't have Jesus to save us, to enter into our misery and into our world. Um, This is right after, positionally in Genesis, right after Babel, as I said at the beginning. The Tower of Babel, right? where their aspiration was to make a great name for themselves by going up to him, by their own efforts, by building, by putting their name on a building, right? By giving a huge endowment, by whatever it is. We want to be remembered. Just Jim Croce said in that great song, I've got a name. We want to have a name. But the way to have a lasting name is to have the name of Jesus. 
to trust in him and to be brought into the family of God because he was thrust out in our place to be brought in. And we take his name upon ourselves. Um, and we, uh, we will have a name that will, it, it is the greatest name, the name above all names. Um, so we need to stop trying to make our names great, right? We, we do it maybe more than any other culture through our, because so, we have the apparatuses at our fingertips, right? The, um, all the social media stuff. Right? But we need to stop trying to make our names great and to come to the one who is great and who became nothing for us, who went to hell for us, and who was abased for us. Um, to let go, to pick up our crosses and to follow him. And he, he will bring us into his family and into his name and, and give us a story. It, he'll bring us into his story, as he did with Abram. Um, he will rivet us to us with rivets of blood stronger than steel because his name is great, yours will be too. Um, thirdly, it's never too late. I just think quite simply, there's more to say here, but I won't say it, but Abram was, you know, he left Haran at age 75. And who, who knows how long he'd been there? Probably decades. Um, it was long enough to acquire great wealth. He could have just settled down there, but none of us would know about him. But at age 75, just when most people are winding down or dead, that's when his life really began. And through him, after that, God chose to bless every family of the earth, and to begin the process of restoring all creation. Um, I think of Moses at age 80. His life basically started at 80. His brother Aaron at age 83. It's never too late with God. He loves, if you're still breathing, he's still got plans for you. I hate that my dad's not here because he's 81. He's maybe our senior, our patriarch, right? He's a, but, um, maybe he listens to this later, but it's to him, it's to us God has got, it's never too late. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how old you are. God has plans for you. He loves you. And I think that's a message to our church too, right? As we've replanted and we're growing again, he has plans for us. Fourthly, sometimes God's blessings and promises take what seems like a really long time. But his timing here is perfect. And if you think about it here in this, in this narrative, we're going to get a sense of that timing as we walk through it together. But Derek Kidner um, <laughs> With regard to the massive blessings of, of 12.3, he says, blessing for the world was a vision fitfully seen at first. Again, that's an understatement. And Kidner is the master of the understatement. Fit, Abraham fitfully saw the blessings that were given to him. He, really, he, he, got, he bought a parcel of land to bury his wife in. And at the, in his old age, he had one son. It was enough, though, Isaac. And then God called him later to put that son, to, to sacrifice that son fitfully he saw the blessings begin to be realized very very fitfully and in fact by the by all the way through the old testament it looks like a big failure israel the people of, of abram the people that are going to be a light to the nations they fail in exile back from exile they're, they're a failure how are you going to bring how are you going to bring how is a, the promise to abram going to be fulfilled and yet there, and there's 400 years of silence and then a man a baby is born through abram the messiah and it isn't even, he's really just called Jesus himself, the son of the living God, who's come to fulfill the promise to Abram and to restore all creation and to, to save all who come to him. Even he was called primarily to the Jews. He turns people away because they're not his primary mission. It's not really until his death, resurrection, and ascension that this call to Abraham begins to take an obvious fulfilling form where all of a sudden the gospel begins to go out like wildfire in dry grass to the nations. But God's timing is perfect. And so we need to trust him and he will do what he says. And lastly, and there's so much more here, but lastly, he has called us just like Abram, just like to Adam and Eve. He has called us just like he did with his own disciples to be a people who go. 
into relationship with him and then to go share the good news of that fact that he has made a way, a perfect way for us to be reconciled to him, restored to him. Um, And to see creation ourselves and the environments around us, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, where he's placed us here in this geography, the nations through them being here, through our going abroad as God calls us to be uh, restored to him through Jesus Christ. And again, the point of it all is blessing. Why, um, does he, why does he bless Abraham, verse 2, finally, so that you will be a blessing? Just imagine that God has called us to be like, uh, to use a homely um, pedestrian example, like a fertilizer spreader. I think it's the time of year where, where in a few weeks or months, we will, a lot of us will be doing that in our front lawns, right? Aerating them and then running that fertilizer spreader. Sometimes you have one that you carry and you spread it like this or you push it and it spreads and it spreads that fertilizer. And that's what God has called us to be is not to keep all the blessing to ourselves, but to spread the blessing. And that is really to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the wealth that we have, our, our finances, our social connections, but also the greatest wealth is, the, is that relationship that we've been brought, brought, brought into through the person of Jesus Christ. I was... Um, I was, this is the last thing I'll say, close with a little story here. I was um, in D.C. years ago, right out of college, and um, a guy came in to this little fellowship I was doing to talk to the 11 of us, and his name was Gary Haugen, and he, was, he still is. He's the founder and director of something called the International Justice Mission. Great guy, loves the Lord, just powerful. And uh, he, he talked to us about, he talked to us from the feeding of the 5,000. And, and um, I remember he came, he came and sat down at the head of the table in a starched white shirt with his, if you've seen him, with his uh, crew cut. looks like Guile from Street Fighter 2. Heard some chuckles back there. And um, he said, man, it's, it's a good morning. It was a Friday morning. He said, it's been a, it's been a good morning. It was, I think it was nine at the time. He's like, we, you know, we had just had 440, uh, you know, Thai uh, young girls uh, released from um, uh, slavery this morning. I got, just got a call from that. So that was, they were doing good work. And he said, you know, he, he, he sat down and opened up that text, Jesus feeding of the 5,000 with us. And he kind of recreated it to make a point. He said, what if, what if as they're looking at the problem and Jesus starts making out of this little, little bit amount of bread and fish, he starts making these mountains, these baskets full of, of bread and fish. And the disciples are just going, Jesus, whoa, Jesus, this is awesome. Thank you for these heaps and heaps of fish and, and bread. And this is awesome. I'm just going to eat. And, and it just starts piling up. And this is amazing. Going, it's too much. Wow, thank you. And they, they're just feeding themselves. And he's like, that, that, that would be ridiculous. The point, of, the point of his enriching them and of feeding them and of, and of blessing them is not, it's not all for them. It's for them to go hand out and to feed those that are hungry. And it's, and it's a silly but powerful example of what God called Abram to, of what God has, has calls his people to, what he's called us to. And look at Jesus, the ultimate example of that, who didn't keep, he, could have, he, could have, he would, would have been within his rights to keep to himself in heaven. All the wealth, all the power, all the prestige. He didn't need to save us. He chose to let it all go and with his riches to come down and to impoverish himself to bless us. And so would that we could be that kind of people. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for um, this word. Thank you that your word never returns void. Thank you for Abram, the father um, of the faithful, of those who trust in you and who look to you. Um, and ultimately, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus, thank you for fulfilling your own promise and call to, to Abram. Thank you that that's our call too, that we are indeed children of Abram 
and, and therefore of blessing as we, uh, as we look to your promise and your word fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who lived for us, who died in our place, and who rose, um, who rose free from sin and, and death, and, and we too in him. And so I just pray um, at, the, at this beginning of the new year, as we begin a new uh, series on, on the life of Abram and his faith and his faltering and your faithfulness, um, ultimately through Jesus Christ, that you would go with us, that you would make us faithful, that you would make us fertilizer spreaders um, who spread, who, who are blessed to bless the nations. Would you do it for your glory that your kingdom might come to Galleria and thus to the world uh, and that your glory might cover uh, the waters, uh, cover this place as waters cover the sea. We pray it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.